Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. James Allen once said, Circumstances do not make the man, they reveal him. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Rick. What are we talking about tonight, this first program of 2017? Well, Rick, our question is, what should I be doing differently? And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Okay, so how is it that life seems to go by so fast? How is it that we are more often than not looking back on our life and the things that we did and what we became with a measure of regret, knowing, knowing that we could have been more or contributed more? Have you ever stopped to think of what makes life happen? It's actually a pretty simple equation. Here it is. Time plus experiences equals life. All right, now look. I know that this is an oversimplification, but, but stay with me on this. If we can accept that life is the combination of time and experiences, then wouldn't solving the issue of making one's life fuller and more meaningful be easier to understand? Time is measurable and predictable, and we all have the same amount of it each and every day. Now, our experiences, be they physical or observational or thoughts, are essentially the sum total of what we do with the time given to us each day. So, what can we do to make our time and experiences produce a rich, fruitful, and contented life? Jonathan, that's really what we want to boil it down to uh, this evening on this podcast. And, and, and Rick, with a world full of distractions, yeah, how do we do that? And, We're bombarded daily with everything. And you're, you're, you're right. The amount of distraction that we have now is unprecedented. There has never been a time in anyone's history anywhere where there is so much readily available instant distraction with such incredible variety. I mean, you think about it for a second. You go back 100 years to the guy who, was, who had the, you know, the 100 acres of, of farmland he had to go till. And he was out there, and, and maybe, maybe in the household, maybe there was a radio, and maybe there wasn't. The only distractions were the work to be done, the food to be eaten, and the sleep that you needed. <laughs> so you're right. We are we live in a different time in a different kind of world, and every year at, at the New Year, Jonathan, we try to do a, a program that focuses on okay, how do we make our lives better? What do we do? It's because people always think about New Year's resolutions and things like that. Yeah, but um, 
you know, our focus should be how can we be more Christ-like? Right. How right. can we serve the Lord and please him more? How can we be sure we're doing God's will and not our own will? Right. And and so we need this focus. We do. And even if even if somebody is not a Christian, the principles we're going to talk about tonight are powerful uh, principles that can catapult you forward in your life. So much of the thinking for tonight's podcast came from a book called The Power of Consistency. And that book was written by a gentleman by the name of Weldon Long. Weldon Long, The Power of Consistency. Though it is a book written primarily for those who want to succeed in business, the principles that he discusses and teaches ring true for our personal lives as well. And he has got, it's an amazing story. We'll get into a story in the next segment. But it's an, to me, it's an incredibly inspirational story of a man who had everything wrong in his life, and he turned it around. And so we took the principles that he talked about in his book. I read it. I highly recommend it for anyone. And he took those principles and said, here, here's how I turned my life around. If I can do it, certainly you can do it. So here's the thing, Jonathan, to get us started, to know what to do differently we need to know what we are doing that's the same. And you think, well, that's, well, duh. <laughs> but understand, most of us don't think about what we do every day. We don't think about how we spend or waste our time. We just do it, and a lot of it is through, is, is, is by rote. We don't, it just happens. It's instinct. So if we want to do things differently, we have to locate and understand what we are doing that just makes our days go by. So... What we want to do tonight is look at some building blocks of understanding for a better life. Now, these are not building blocks to a better life. They are building blocks of understanding for a better life. In other words, we have to build our understanding, and there are four building blocks that we want to apply this evening. And frankly, I got these four building blocks from Weldon Long's book, The Power of Consistency. Now, I rephrased things and all that. But it's his idea, not mine. Let's get it straight, okay? Um, really, really, really well done. So let go ahead, Jonathan. And the thing I like that you're doing with this is you're helping us to spiritualize right. how we can grow and, and, and develop and be more mature. And, and I think it's fascinating. It is. And once we start developing this, it, 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 does, it gets better and better and better. So let's go to the first building block of understanding for a better life. What is it? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand what drives my homeostasis, my comfort zone. Now, homeostasis is a word that we're going to use through the program, and it's a strange word for us to use because both of us have a hard time pronouncing it. <laughs> yes, I do. I know I do. <laughs> okay, but homeostasis is essentially equilibrium. Okay, having, having your life be kind of level and uh, negotiable because it's level. You can negotiate the difficulties because it's not turning you over and over and over. You've got... So, so kind of an, an internal stability yes. or a state of balance. Exactly, exactly, okay. exactly. It sounds like you're a dictionary right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell. <laughs> All, right. All right, so equilibrium would logically be a good thing because it means that we're on an even keel, just like you were describing. The problem with this... And you say, oh, wait, 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 what do you mean the problem with this? We're just saying it's good to be on an even keel. But the problem with this uh, is that an even keel for a sinful mind is not the same as an even keel for a spiritual mind. 
And that's the first thing we need to understand. If you're a Christian, you want to follow the, the footsteps of Jesus, you got to understand that your your the evenness of your keel has to be focused on different things. So let, let's compare the sinful mind to the mind that's trying to be Christ-like. Let's go to 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, a seared conscience seeks a seared equilibrium. Now, Rick, a seared conscience is insensitive and it's, it's numb to sin. Right. As if it doesn't bother you anymore. The mind is dead to right and wrong. And obviously we need to avoid that. Right. Now, so, so, and that's why in the scriptures it uses that word, having their conscience seared is with a hot iron. The description is if, 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 you, uh, if your skin is touched with a hot, hot iron, it generally, the nerves die at that point. And so you're right. That part of your skin becomes numb. You can't feel pain. You can't feel good. Maybe it just aches. But there's no sensation. And if our conscience has no sensation for right or wrong, we can think we're on an even keel, but in fact, we, our life is spinning entirely, completely, utterly out of control. So that's the first thing to realize is that just because you might feel like you're on an even keel doesn't mean you really, really are. What we need to be looking for is to find a way to step up to an even keel that is spiritually based, that is higher than what I might be comfortable with. And if we don't, we'll end up damaging others with an improper balance in yeah. our lives. Well, and, and I, you know, I'm glad you said that, especially now, because that really helps to lay out the seriousness of this initial point, is that we may feel that we're even, but our evenness is based in... in um, a broken life, let's say. And if that's the case, you're right. My feeling of evenness can be not only hurting myself, but hurting the people around me. And then, exactly. then you create this, this, this self-fulfilling prophecy of hurt begets hurt, begets hurt, begets hurt. And, you know, you've heard the phrase, I'm going off on a slight tangent for a second here, but, you know, you, children who are abused as children grow up and they become child abusers. And you think, how could that possibly happen? They would know better. But the thing is, they were damaged, and they don't know how to know better. So they react in the only way they know. That's not an even keel. That's not equilibrium. But it might feel that way because that's what you know and what you're comfortable with. But it is heartbreaking. It is utterly heartbreaking. But there, there, there's hope. See, there's hope to this whole thing. There's hope to be able to change and refocus this. Jonathan, let's go to a soundbite for a moment. This is from uh, a YouTube video called Affecting Positive Change, Personal Growth and Development. It's by a gentleman by the name of Randy Ross. And uh, this is good because he suggests you have to start somewhere, but you have to know where it is that you're starting. And you think again, well, duh. But, but listen, listen to how he explains this. One of the few constants in life is change. And how we deal with change makes a huge difference in our emotional health and well-being. You see, when we affect change, we call it growth. When we endure change and change is forced upon us, then we often call it hardship. Think about it for a minute. 
So what we want to do is we want to affect positive change. We want to talk about the growth process. So what does effective positive growth look like? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that for most of us, we don't take enough time to stop and really assess and meditate on where we are and where we want to be. What we need to do is to stop and imagine where we are. Assess life. And the first step in affecting positive growth is to assess candidly. Where are you? Like that little map in the mall, you know, where it says, you're here. Where are you? And I, and I love that illustration. You are here. Uh, because that says, okay, now I have, when you're in the mall and you're not sure, because I, you know, I get lost in malls pretty easily. Because it's <laughs> too big and too many directions to go. But when you look at that map, you have now a, 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 uh, um, a, a vantage point from which to look and say, okay, if I look this way, this is what I'm going to see. If I look that way, this is what I'm going to see. And most of the time when I get to that point, I'm looking to how to get to my car. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how do I get out of this place? So you need to know where you are. And with our, with our equilibrium, it's the same thing. Evenness and comfort can be deceiving. We need to focus on what's good for us, not what is convenient for us. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255 or contact us and leave us a question or leave us a message at ChristianQuestions.com. You can also use your app. We love hearing from you guys uh, whenever you can. And during the program, if we do get messages through the app and so forth, we do try to get them on the air. We don't always, aren't always able to do that, but we do make the attempt. So, so... Even this and comfort can be deceiving. We talked about that just before going through the phone number and so forth. We have to learn to focus on what's good for us and not what feels convenient or comfortable. Because too often what's comfortable doesn't bring us anywhere. So if you want to make your life better, you want to take steps, then you have to know where you are and say, okay, change must happen. And we need to affect the change in our lives, not be affected by the changes in our lives. So let's go to a scripture that helps us to start to put this in perspective. This is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we sow to the end result that we seek. And the end result that we seek is personal equilibrium. But again, going back to your point from before, if your conscience is seared, it doesn't feel, it doesn't know, it doesn't understand. So going to that as an end result is not where you want to go. Now, Rick, I have a question. I'm going to interrupt you right now. Okay, hey, well, go right ahead. We're, we're Christians. Yes, sir. We believe in Jesus. Yes, we do. Why do we have to go through all this hard work <laughs> and change if we're saved and we're good? Can't right. I just be myself and not worry about it? Sure you can. But then you're not really a Christian, are you? Because the idea, the definition of being a Christian, the very definition is not believing in Jesus. See, a lot of times we think about that. It's actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. And what if Jesus said, well... Uh, you know, I'm a believer in God. Obviously, Jesus is a believer. I don't need to do anything because I believe. Nobody would have been saved. There would have been no <laughs> ransom. So aren't Good we glad <laughs> Jesus acted? We need to do the same because that's what he did. So yeah, it is hard work, but it is worthy work. 
It's important work for us to make our lives better, and it can be done, small steps, small steps at a time. So, we're in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 12. That was a really good question, though. Thank you for that. Uh, let's, sure. uh, let's jump in now with verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. See, that's the encouragement, okay? If you, you know the previous verse, if you sow to your flesh, you reap corruption and all that, and it's like, oh, that's terrible. But look, don't lose heart, because in due time, there's a harvest for planting good seeds. Seeking higher equilibrium and, and, and not losing heart as you're trying to attain it. That's the secret. Focus on it and say, look, there, there's a harvest that's going to come, and it's going to be good. I may not see it now, but I'm planting the seeds for later. Can, let's continue with uh, Galatians six ten to 12, or 10, so then, 10 and 12, I'm well, sorry. Mm-hmm. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So what it's saying is, okay, keep looking higher, keep seeking higher. And then he says, sometimes what happens is when we are seeking that higher equilibrium, that higher evenness in our life, we try to drag our fleshly equilibrium and our fleshly evenness along with us. That doesn't work. What it does is it takes that higher level of spirituality that's walking away from sinfulness and it's bringing the sinfulness along with us to say, oh, look what I brought. And the answer is, Yuck. yeah, why <laughs> did you bring that? That doesn't belong here. That's not part. That's not part of what we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to be going. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, what should I be doing differently? Coming up, wait. Are you saying that all earthly things is based on a seared conscience? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And sign up for CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider Weekly Material at ChristianQuestions.com. And every bit of that, Jonathan, is a free service, and we love doing it for free because the Scripture says, freely you have received, freely give. So, Jonathan, at the end of the last segment, you said, well, wait, 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 are we saying that all earthly thinking is based on a seared conscience? And, and that's a, it's a really good question, and we want to develop that question, and, and Trish, uh, our call screener, gave me another question to put on top of that as we develop this next segment. So l- let's just lay out some groundwork for this next segment. First of all, for Christians, it's important to understand what we will call age-based thinking. Now, that doesn't mean when you're 7 you think one way and you're 11 you think another way and you're 18 you think another way. Age-based meaning the ages of time. Age-based thinking. For instance, in the Old and New Testaments, there were different objectives in honoring God. For Israel, the blessings that came from 
uh, from God for serving him were primarily land and abundance based. For the Christian, our blessings are primarily based in spiritual growth and maturity. So, you know, it's a very different picture. It's a very different perspective. And also, I was thinking, Rick, the Israelites offered animal sacrifices, whereas we as Christians offer ourselves yes. to the Lord. Yeah, it's a very different venue, a different age. It's, it's, it's an age where it is really spiritual, and that's harder to get your arms around. It's harder to get You're your right. arms around. And so, based on what you said you know, about the Old Testament being different than the New Testament, the other question here that was just, just handed to me is, give an example of sowing to the flesh versus sowing to the Spirit. You know, is humanity all bad? I mean, that's... And no, humanity's not all bad. And thank goodness humanity's not all bad. Now, now a lot of it's corrupted by sin, but it's certainly not all bad. Not at all. But sowing to the spirit versus sowing to the flesh. Doing things that would sacrifice what I want to do because I know what God would want me to do is higher, more difficult, and so I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to put aside my personal preference. Now, maybe my personal preference wasn't actually a good thing. If I did that, it's not a bad thing to do, but it's a good earthly thing to do, which could have been, in this particular case, replaced with something spiritual. Okay, mm. now, having said that, does it mean that all earthly things should be replaced with something spiritual? No. If you have a family, you love them, you take care of them, you spend your time with them, you work at your job to support them, and you do those things. Those are not spiritual activities necessarily, but those are earthly activities that are wonderful, that are acceptable, that the scriptures say we should embrace, we should love, and we should dedicate ourselves to, and by doing that we serve God as well. Well, then, that brought us to the other question. So, is earthly abundance bad? All right. Now, that's a good question. And the answer is, we'll see. <laughs> Let's take another look at, a, a, at another equilibrium example, and then we'll, we'll develop that earthly abundance question that you just asked. Let's go to a, a short parable, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. It's a very short parable. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So, Rick, the moral of the story is verse 21. So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So now, at first glance, Jonathan, you read this and say, you might interpret this saying, well, if you prepare for the future, God sees you as a fool. So does that mean we shouldn't have a retirement account? I mean, seriously. No, it doesn't. Okay, I'm glad you <laughs> we, answered it right off We need off to be bat. responsible. <laughs> that's true, that's right. So, so the question is, why did Jesus speak this parable? Because he sounds like he's coming out harshly against, um, uh, against preparing for the future. He's not, but you have to understand why he spoke it to get the point of what he was saying and not read into the parable things that simply don't belong there. So to get the point of the parable, we have to do my favorite thing. Go to the context. Right. 
You always have to go to the context of the scripture so you can figure out why it was said, to whom it was said, and then we can discuss whatever lessons uh, there were. So we go to Luke chapter 12. Now let's just go to the few verses before the parable about this rich landowner who pulled down his old barns to build up new barns because he had so much, and that night he dies, and it's like, oh, okay, that was all a waste. Why, <laughs> why, why did Jesus speak such a parable? Luke 12, verses 13 to 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So this is an interesting scenario. Jesus is out talking to the people, and, and, and the Jewish law really did favor the firstborn son in every family. You're right, that's right. So if you have this man talking to Jesus, he say, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me, you can kind of infer by that that he's not the firstborn son. Makes sense. So he's now. Now I'm. I don't know this for sure because I don't know the guy. I don't know what he's thinking. But let me tell you what it sounds like. This man is thinking who asked Jesus the question. It sounds like he's thinking. Now here's this guy Jesus. He's equitable with everybody. He's fair on everything. Surely he can't believe that giving the firstborn eight, you know, seventy-five percent or whatever of the inheritance is fair. Let me ask him to get my brother to feel guilty enough so we can get fifty-fifty here. Because, I mean, Jesus is an an equal opportunity guy. So, So he asks Jesus that question. And Jesus says to him, look, what do you want me to get involved in your personal affairs for? See, that's sowing to the spirit versus sowing to the flesh. Jesus wouldn't involve himself in the guy's personal affairs because it wasn't a spiritual thing. That's a great example of the difference. And so Jesus' point was that abundance is not wrong, but... Abundance is an empty poverty if it is without a balancing fullness towards God. And that's what he said because he said at the end at the end or um, you know at the end of the parable it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. So if you so, go ahead I'm sorry. So where do you put your treasure? On things or living for God? So in our equilibrium, in our seeking equilibrium, because this is what this is really about, it's not wrong to have things. But if those things override godliness in our lives, then they become damaging. If we can manage those things in the context of godliness and be, uh, be, be free with them, be generous with them, and all of that, then those things are not bad. They're tools. But the question is, who's the tool, you know, and, and who uses it? <laughs> are your things the tool, or are you the tool of your things? I, that's really what it kind of comes down to here. So, again, it's equilibrium on a higher, higher basis. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255, or ask your questions and leave your comments at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so seek equilibrium where all things are well-balanced. And how do you determine if all things are well-balanced? We have to be spiritually oriented to see outs. We have to be able to see our lives from outside of our lives. 
because that's a great way to be able to see, is it really balanced? Because you know what? I always feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just cruising right along, but I might be cruising right along the wrong path. And if, if you don't, if you don't stop, you know, you feel good as you go down the drain. I mean, come on, that's not going to end up well. <laughs> All right. So, so let's wrap up our first building block of understanding for a better life. And Jonathan, let's just reread. What is that first building block? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand what drives my homeostasis, my comfort zone. All right. So there's four basic points here. First one being we all seek and need homeostasis. We all need equilibrium. That, that's the basic need. What's next? Sometimes we find what we think is balance in places that are very unbalanced. And usually that comes out over time. And then when it comes out, it's oftentimes it's way, way late, and changing it later is much harder than changing it earlier. What's the third point? Just because we feel comfortable, we feel balanced does not necessarily mean we are. What we feel is not necessarily real. The real world around us is different than our feelings. And folks, if there's one thing you walk away from this podcast with, let it be that thought that how I feel is not necessarily the real world around me. And just because we feel good doesn't mean we are good, especially in the sight of God. What, what's the next point? We need to check the tuning of our conscience to see what our feeling of balance is based on. So the way you determine if what you feel is bringing you to a good end result or a bad end result is see what your conscience is based on. Is your conscience, you know, one of the, my favorite things to talk about with, with, with just people in general is, is being ethical. Because there's so little, so, so few examples of being ethical in the world around us. And being ethical is doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. If your conscience is based on that, you have a really good chance of having what you feel actually be something that's worth following. That's hard to do, though. And what an example that is to your family and right. to your children yeah. so that they will take those qualities and develop into really wonderful people. Right, right. There's a great little quote here from Stephen Covey that we're going to come back to later, but what is the quote? All things are created twice. All right. All things are created twice, once in your mind and once in reality. And we're going to come back to that and really hammer away at that quote a little bit later. Let's right now, though, let's go to another soundbite. This is from Self-Discipline Techniques, um, and this is a section of that, that video uh, where Elliot Hulse is doing the talking. And he's a, uh, he's a personal trainer, he's a personal coach, and he's got some really, really great points on, on, on developing ourselves through small wins. Because it's very difficult to just get up and change your life, just change the way you do things. People like to say that all the time. Hey, just stop doing this or start doing that. They like to give advice, but the, the underlying factor is that our, our friend, our individual, whoever's asking the question, is not disciplined enough to actually put that thing in action, get that thing done. So the thing that I have always told my students and my clients is to start with a small win. Begin with something small. So, for example, if you want to lose weight, I often tell people, just start walking every single morning. Don't worry about counting calories. Don't worry about complex workout ideas. Don't worry about anything that anyone is selling you. Just get up and walk every morning. 
right? Now, it's not the walking that's actually going to make that person successful. Now, it will add to your success because getting up and walking fresh air and, and exercise is going to support you in losing weight. But we all know that there's far more factors to consider. But what it will do is create the virtue of discipline, commitment. That is such a powerful point. It's not the walking that's going to make you lose the weight, but it's the walking that creates the virtue of discipline that brings you to whatever it is, the goals that you need. Bottom line, Jonathan, we can't get anywhere without discipline. So what's our second building block of understanding for a better life? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand my life is a perfect reflection of what is in my box. Okay, a perfect reflection of what is in my box. Now, that's a strange thing to say. It certainly is. So let's explain it. Yeah. What are okay. we talking about here? Well, Rick? remember the, the book I was talking about, The Power of Consistency by Weldon Long? Yes. In, in that book, he explains our mind as being a toolbox for dealing with life. The tools that you have determine how you work on the problems you face in life. So I want to read a few paragraphs from, actually from page 154 of Weldon Long's book, Uh, the power of consistency. And Jonathan, I want to preface this by saying this man was in in prison for seven years, a total of seven years, during which he finally decided to change his life. He came out of prison finally. He had a three-year-old son when he went into prison. The son was 10 when he came out. And one of his ultimate goals of being in prison was to better himself so he could be a legitimate father to that child. He came out of prison. He had worked so hard on changing the way he thought that he not only became a successful father, he ran an incredibly successful business, he wrote some incredible books, and became financially free, and became a wonderful human being who now spends his time sharing what he did. So this is, awesome. a, this is a look into his life, into that prison-driven life of Weldon Long from his book, The Power of Consistency, and I quote, When I was running a monk and acting as a complete menace to society and ending up in prison as a result... I used to think that it was because I had really bad luck. I always thought if I could just catch a lucky break, things would be fine. It never occurred to me that I was creating my own luck with the decisions I was making in my life. I can remember being at the mall around Christmas time after I had been to prison and let out for the first time. I saw a guy walking around with his pretty wife and his cute little kids. They were all smiles and giggles. And I just knew they had a nice little house with a white picket fence and puppies. I remember thinking, that guy wouldn't be so damn happy if he had my problems and my luck. If he had to walk a mile in my shoes, he would know what it's like to suffer. It was all I could do not to walk over and wipe that smile off of his face. That's how bitter, jealous, pathetic, and miserable I was at that point in my life. And Jonathan... Wow, that's bad. And and it's such a graphic illustration, though, of how we tend to think about things. We Mm. look at other other people and their circumstances and and, and, and we resent it, or we're jealous of it, or we make excuses why they have and we don't have, or they can and we can't. And then then we pile on the misery. And what he was saying about his, his life is, I was pathetic. I mean, his words were... That's how bitter, jealous, and pathetic and miserable I was. 
He f- and he wanted to take that happiness away from them. He did, because somehow he thought it would make him feel better. Now, it wouldn't have yeah. made him feel better, but that's what he thought. Let, let me read the next few paragraphs. Again, uh, quoting directly from The Power of Consistency by Weldon Long, page 154. However, I learned later in life that the guy in the mall had problems too. Odds are that at some point in his life he struggled with money, relationships, or his health. The difference between the two of us was not in the nature of our problems. It was in the way we chose to handle our problems. I'd be willing to bet that when that fellow had money problems, he decided to get a second job, work overtime, or reduce his expenses. When I had money problems, I decided to grab a gun and a ski mask. That was the difference between us. My life was pathetic, a pathetic mess because of what I decided to do about my money problems. It was not the money problem itself. Our decisions, whether good or bad, are 100% our responsibility. So as we look at this, this is where we get the idea for the toolbox. What's in your box? Because your life, your life is a direct reflection of the tools that you have in that box in your mind. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? Coming up. So what kind of tools are in the toolbox of your mind? That's next. Listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is What Should I Be Doing Differently? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all. Or you could message us on your app. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our episodes and interact with us on the Christian Questions app. Download now in your Google or App Store by searching Christian Questions Radio. All right, so this segment is really going to focus on what kind of tools are in the toolbox of your mind. And Jonathan, just a quick one-line quote from Weldon Long in his book, The Power of Consistency. You can't talk your way out of a situation that you acted your way into. (laughs) That is so powerful, and it is so true, and spoken by one who truly knows, who had to suffer major consequences and came out in in such a great way. Give him so so much credit for working so hard. Um, Jonathan, we want to start with, uh, you know, several years ago with the Iraq War, there was all the talk about WMDs, you know, weapons of mass destruction. Yes, yes. Well, let's start this conversation with some TMDs. And what's that mean? Tools of mass destruction. Oh, okay. great. Tools in, From the toolbox? Yes. <laughs> now, now you've heard of the Beatitudes in the Scriptures, Matthew chapter 5. Oh, they're wonderful. Yes. Well, these are not Beatitudes. These are Baditudes. Ooh. Okay? Baditudes. They're bad attitudes, and we're just going to contract <laughs> okay. that. Baditudes. But before we get to the Baditudes, let's go back to Randy Ross, the effective, uh, Affecting Positive Change, Personal Growth and Development. And, uh, you know, we talked about homeostasis, which is a big word for us. Well, yes. in this, in this soundbite, he's going to talk about intercepting the entropy. Now, come on. I mean, we're trying to be scientific or what? I mean, come on. This is beyond <laughs> us. But, but um, I would say let's listen to this, but I just lost it here. I don't know where it went. 
Okay. Um, you know what? We're not going to listen to that right now because it just it just went away off of my desktop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're going to continue. Well, when it reappears, we'll listen to it later. Yeah, yes, when it reappears, I, we will listen to it later. Okay. Um, so let's get to the tools of self-centered thinking. All right. These are tools that are in our toolbox that are not good for us. They should not be there. Uh, you know, tools fix things. These tools fix us to be unfixable is really what it boils down to. So this tool of self-centered thinking, it fixes my desire to focus only on me. That's what it fixes. Sounds like self-gratification. That sounds like a bad fix if you ask me. Yeah. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 14 to 17. Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Okay, for, let, let, let's pause there for a second. So it says, pursue peace with all men. And sanctification, those are high-level things that we should be pursuing, without which no one will see the Lord. Make sure you don't fall short of God's grace and allow roots of bitterness to grow up in your heart and your mind like Esau did. And with Esau, what happened was he allowed that to happen because he was hungry. And he sold off something of great precious value because of his personal hunger. And let's see what happened to him. Verse 17. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Okay, because Esau's mind was so thoroughly bent on his physical person, he gave away the most sacred and privileged status of his life. After that consequence became apparent, after he realized that he gave away his birthright and he couldn't get it back because his father now had blessed uh, 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 Jacob rather than him, his apparent reaction was to want it back. And remember, he begged his father. He cried to his father. He was like, oh, please, oh, please, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. Now, this desire for the birthright only surfaced after the fact. Throughout all the time before, he was good with it. But now when it came down to it, he's like all of a sudden feeling bad. And, you know, we might conclude by that, that he was reacting not out of repentance, but out of sorrow. Uh, not out of sorrow, rather, but out of more self-centeredness. And, and that ends up being a real issue. So you can see that with, um, with, with Esau, he allowed the bitterness of his life to get into the way of the goodness of his life. Jonathan, we have a call. Uh, we have uh, Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, Rick. Jonathan and company. Uh, Happy New Year. To you too, sir. Thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, since your program reaches worldwide, I'd like to say, uh, Buona sera, Happy New Year to my, uh, uh, I have friends in Italy. Okay. Now I'm going to say, <laughs> Buona sera, meaning good evening. And oh. also, Bon Anno means good year in Italian. Anyway, yeah, good to hear you guys. I missed you a couple of times. Well, we're, we're still here. You can always hear the archives. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, uh, your question is, what shall I be doing, what should I be doing differently? Yes. Uh, you know, that can be philosophical in this way. If so many of us, we're doing, we think we're doing the right thing, well, do it better. 
There's always room for improvement, I, I would say. And uh, believe it or not, uh, one of my favorite scriptures that I've, I've learned from you people, from your program, is Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, verse 13, where uh, Jehovah God tells these people, he says, quote, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's the key, brothers. With all your heart. Searching with all your heart. You've got, you got to have that heart in there. The mind is okay, but it's the heart that has to conform to. You know, you think about it. Uh, how do I know if I'm doing the right thing? I, I know you went there a little while ago. You could say, well, put the Beatitudes before you. Uh, compare. The, the spirit of the Beatitudes with what we're doing, what you're doing, what I'm doing, how do they compare? How do our, right. our actions compare to that incredible, beautiful model of our Lord Jesus? Again, Happy New Year. Thank you, Julius. We appreciate your call. Take care. Thank Happy you. New Good Year, night. Julius. Good night. Thank you. So, good thought, good thought from Julius. You know, he said compare the Beatitudes. So, we want to compare the Beatitudes with the Beatitudes. <laughs> and and again, it's they're they're similar. You say, well, you know, because they're all tools, but some are tools of mass destruction. And for each tool of mass destruction, in the second hour, we're going to have a tool of massive construction. Okay, we have much to, better. Yeah, Good. we have to cancel them out. <laughs> so this first tool of massive destruction of mass destruction was the tool of self-centered thinking because it fixes my desire to focus only on me, and that never gets us anywhere in our lives. What the next tool it doesn't contribute to society either, does it, Rick? No, and that's the point. If we are not contributing somehow, some way, in some positive manner to the world around us, then we're taking up space. And what a waste of humanity to just take up space. Do something with your life. Let it, let it shine out. You know, one of the things I've been working on recently, Jonathan, is the power of gratitude. And, you know, you might think that, well, you know, I don't have a lot to give. But if somebody is kind to you or helps you or talks with you or does something, the power of gratitude is a great gift to give them, to be able to say thank you. It certainly is, Rick. So let's go on to the next batitude, which is what? The tool of stubborn denial. And what does it do? It fixes, it fixes my sight to only see what I want to see. Okay, that's not good either. The tool of stubborn denial. And I put stubborn in there because stubborn means stubborn. And stubborn means I'm not changing, and that's it, because this is how I feel. Let's look at a scriptural example of this, which is not pretty. Uh, Luke 13, 34 and 35. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, so this is Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem because he knows he's been rejected. This is him saying, I've tried, I've given you an opportunity, but you had such stubborn denial you would not see. Israel as a nation led by the Pharisees came to a point of complete denial of who Jesus was way back then. 
we so often get what we focus on. And for the Pharisees, that tool of stubborn denial got Jesus executed, and it got them cast off as a nation for generations. So the, that's what they wanted, that's what they got, but the, the end result was awful. It really was. But Rick, as Christians today, what could we see as an example of how we could be stubborn and deny, in denial? Well, you know, I, I think one of the things is when, you, when we're trying to act spiritually, but we've got our physical life around us, and we say, you know, I know that I, I should be, um, let, me, let me talk about something that's sensitive for a lot of people, you know, the kind of relationships I'm in. If I have relationships with people that are just bad people, but I like them, and they do bad things, and they begin to corrupt my mind, and I keep those relationships, you know, but, but hey, look, maybe I could be a positive influence on them. But you start to go down the, the bad road. See, that's, that's a stubborn self. That's a stubborn denial. Sometimes we've got to walk away from those kinds of things. Walk towards something that's going to help us. Because many times we are not strong enough to pull those people out. Our example, oftentimes, of walking away and seeking something higher is a better example to them. In, in the long run. And I've, I've had personal experiences of that. Uh, we don't have time for them now. Maybe in the second hour we can go back to that. But, you know, that's just an off-the-top-of-my-head example. Of, Thank you. Excellent. Of, of dealing of, with the tool of stubborn denial. Okay, so we've got the tool of self-centered thinking, not a good tool. The tool of stubborn denial, not a good tool. Let's go now to another tool that is just not a good thing. What is it? A tool of a calloused heart. It fixes my heart to find its comfort in the darkness of sin. The tool of a calloused heart. Now, here's the question, and we're going through these tools. There's four of them this segment here. Self-centered thinking, stubborn denial, and the third one here is a calloused heart. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are these tools in my toolbox, which is in my mind? Do I have stubborn denial in my mind? Do I have self-centered thinking in my mind? Is my heart calloused to find its comfort in the darkness of sin. Because if it is, it's a tool of mass destruction. Again, these are bad attitudes, not beatitudes. They're bad attitudes. Ephesians 4, 17-19 on this tool of a calloused heart. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walked in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Okay, so it says that, you know, you're, he, he, he's talking to the... To, to one of the Christian churches there in early times, and he's saying that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. You are supposed to walk in a different path. You shouldn't be walking in the futility of a sinful mind. You should be walking on a higher level because that futility of the sinful mind is darkened in its understanding. It's excluded from God because it doesn't look for God. What the heart wants, the heart tries to get. And if we only give our hearts the callous sensuality of the sinful human experience, how can we expect true godliness or a God-praising life? To our live listeners right now, we'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. Call us at 866-985-4255. 
You can also leave us a voicemail 24-7 or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So, so Jonathan, here, here's the key thing. We, we've gone through three of these tools of mass destruction, TMDs, tool of self-centered thinking, tool of stubborn uh, denial, and the tool of a calloused heart. And even if you're a Christian, you can have these. We can, you're right, Rick. We, we can have these to one degree or another. These can be tools in our toolbox. The question is, do you know it's there, and do you know how you're using it? And if so, what do you do about it? And that's what the second hour is going gonna, is gonna to deal with. There's one more tool, Jonathan. This tool, Jonathan, this is probably the, the, the most popular tool and the least expensive tool to get anywhere. What is it? The tool of laziness. Woo-hoo. It fixes my actions to be minimal and purposefully ignorant of reality. <laughs> That's them's harsh words for that tool, isn't it? <laughs> well, let's go to Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 15, in terms of describing this tool of laziness. The sluggard saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon its hinges, so doth the sluggard upon his bed. The sluggard buryeth his hand in the dish, it wearieth him to bring it up again to his mouth. So, so he says, oh, there's a lion in the street. Better run. Well, I'll take a nap first. <laughs> you know, <laughs> gee, I'm hungry. And he puts his hand in the dish and he's just too tired to bring it up. Laziness. Laziness is a most common and inexpensive tool to acquire. Once acquired and placed into anyone's toolbox, it slowly and definitively becomes one of the most used costly and destructive tools we could ever own and rick mental and physical fatigue takes a toll on us at the end of the day the older we get the harder it becomes or is that a tool of denial (laughs) (laughs) well you know here's the thing it uh, those things do take a toll on us uh, at the end of the day but the question is are we focused enough to be able to say, okay, that's the tool of laziness, but there's another tool that I have, again, we're going to introduce it in the second hour, that can counteract that. And which one am I going to use at this moment? You see, you can bring the tool out and use it, or you can choose to say, you know what, that's not the tool for this job. I've got a better one. And that is where we really need to begin to focus our thoughts, our mind, our thinking, and attention what tools do I want? Do I want the tools of, of um, massive destruction or do I want to use tools that are going to actually bring me up so that I can make the choices, so that I can do things differently, so that I can live a life that can honor and praise God, so that I can actually have contentment in my everyday. Folks, we're going to be back in just a, two minutes with the second hour. There's so much more to, to cover. Um, but before that second hour, just, re, just remember, we love hearing from our listeners. We, we know, uh, let us know what you think about today's topic. Suggest future topics for us. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. We look forward to bringing you a new program next week. This week, though, we're only halfway through. There's so much more to come. What should I be doing differently for Jonathan, Rick, and Christian questions? Back soon. Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. 
spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Weldon Long wrote in his book, The Power of Consistency, Values are knowing what to do. Character is having the strength to do it. Integrity is doing it even when no one is watching. Good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what's that topic that we have on the table this evening? Well, it's a great New Year's topic, Rick, and the question is, what should I be doing differently? And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So the key is self-control. The key is self-discipline. And how do we get to the self-discipline of our lives to actually change our lives so that we can come up with a different result, so we can come up with a, with a better result, so we can actually find happiness and contentment in life. And there is a way to find that. But it takes work. It takes effort. And so what we're discussing this evening are four building blocks of understanding to help us get our minds wrapped around what we need to be doing differently. So, Jonathan, and we got these building blocks of understanding from Weldon Long's book, The Power of Consistency. I would highly recommend it. It's really, really a well-written book that talks about how to change your life. It's written by a guy who actually was in jail for seven years he was in and out and in and out because he kept committing more crimes and he finally got his act together and decided he wanted to be a father to his son he decided he wanted to be a success in life and he worked so hard on himself while he was in prison that when he walked out he knew what to do he knew how to do it and he literally changed his life he became the father that his son deserved and, you know, you can almost say they lived happily ever after. So it's a great, great story. So, so Jonathan, these build, the first two building blocks, let's go through the first one. To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand what drives my homeostasis, my comfort zone. So we need to understand what drives us being comfortable because our comfortable feeling isn't necessarily a place where we can grow from. So if you don't know what makes you feel comfortable, you don't know how to change it. So it's, it's, it's really a, a tough experience to be able to look at it and say, okay, there are things that, that I need to upset what feels like equilibrium because I'm comfortable in an unbalanced way so I can become, learn to become comfortable in a balanced way, which is uncomfortable to do. So <laughs> I have to go from my comfort to discomfort to find better comfort. But that's, that's, that's what you've got to do. What's the second building block of understanding for a better life? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand my life is a perfect reflection of what is in my box. And these four building blocks came from the book, The Power of Consistency by Weldon Long. And Jonathan, the, the, the four tools in the box, we're talking about the toolbox of your mind. The four tools that we talked about in the first hour were what we call TMDs, tools of mass destruction. <laughs> and they're not good tools. Tools are made to, to fix things, and they fix our minds to do the wrong things. It's a tool of self-centered thinking, the tool of stubborn denial, the tool of a calloused heart, and the tool of laziness. Those were the, uh, the, the four tools we talked about. There's certainly many more. 
And even if you're a Christian... They're, they're the attitudes. The attitudes. that's right. They're not the B-attitudes. They're not the good attitudes. They're the attitudes. The bad attitudes. <laughs> All right? So now we have to counteract those. And the way to do that is with TMCs. Now we had TMDs, right? Tools of Mass Destruction. Well, what is a TMC? Tools of Massive Construction. All right. So change the tools that you use and you change the outcome of your life. Did you hear that? If you ch- I heard it. You change the tools that you use, you can change the outcome of your life. It's really that simple. Let's go back to Elliot Hulse, self-discipline techniques. Uh, he's talking about, again, talking about small wins. Right, commitment and discipline sort of go together. And... The fact that that small win associated with getting up every single morning is under your belt, you're going to feel the courage, the confidence, and you'll have the ability to begin adding other things to your ability to to grow stronger. So now that you know, it's been 60 days, 90 days, and it's like you got that pattern down pat. You get up every morning, you just walk, that's it. You don't think about it. It's become a habit. You now can use that tool of creating habits and instilling discipline with the next one, which should be a little bit more advanced, perhaps. Only drink water with your meals. Don't drink any soda, don't drink any juice, just drink water. That's the next one. And then the next one becomes more complex, and the next one becomes more complex. Now, it might seem like this is tedious and slow, but I guarantee you that after 90 days of tiny wins and the revamping of your character, you will be the type of person that can get anything done at any time. And the long-time perspective is going to be a successful one for you. So he's talking about getting those small wins in life and how really, really important it is to get the small wins. And it's, the small win doesn't change your life. But the discipline that you develop to get the small win and keep it is, is the building block to change your life. So those are good habits, small habits to begin with. Small victories. And if we can have them and keep them and repeat them and repeat them and repeat them, we've got something to work with. So let's talk about uh, TMCs, tools of massive construction. Remember, tools are there to help us fix things. So what's our first TMC, Jonathan? Well, Rick, it's the tool of God-centered thinking. It fixes my desire to focus on serving and giving. All right. So rather than the tool of self-centered thinking, it's the tool of God-centered thinking. And our desire now is focused outside of ourselves, on giving, on serving And when you start giving to others and you start serving others, something happens inside of your mind and suddenly there's a brightness that that you you were never able to experience. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of... All right, Jonathan, you just froze. Of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. call of God. Okay. Um, To have God-centered thinking does not mean 
that we are perfectly God-centered. And see, this is so important. Just because your, your thinking is God-centered doesn't mean that everything is, is okay, everything is perfectly aligned now. You know, the stars are aligned and, and I will never make another mistake again. Wrong. What it means is that we are daily working at our desire to always be pointed upward rather than downward. That's all it is. That's what God-centered thinking is. God-centered thinking is not perfection. So the tool of God-centered thinking will counteract and cancel out the tool of self-centered thinking. But you know what the key here, Jonathan? I'm sorry, go ahead. And how do we get his word? I'm sorry, say that again. You got cut off again. By reading his word. Right. That's how we get it. We get it through reading the word of God. That's where the tool actually has its founding. So if you want to, you know, go to, the, go, to the, go to the wholesale warehouse to get this tool, okay? Go where it's not expensive. Go to the scriptures and you can find it right there. And, uh, or you can come here and listen to Christian questions and we'll talk to you about it. Because you want the tool of God-centered thinking. So that's one tool of massive construction to counteract tools of mass destruction. The second tool of massive construction is what? A tool of passionate acceptance. It fixes my sight to only see what God's will directs me to see. And this tool of passionate acceptance counteracts the tool. It cancels out the tool. It overrides the tool of stubborn denial. And look, if those tools are in our toolbox, even if we're Christians, we have stubborn denial, we have self-centered thinking. They're in there. You just got to not use them or you've got to use a tool that's more powerful to override them and that's what this tool of passionate acceptance can do to counteract the tool of stubborn denial. And here, Jonathan, this next scripture is a great example of the passionate acceptance of God's will in, in, in your life. This is Acts chapter 21, uh, verses 11 to 14. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, as we, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he had not been persuaded, he felt silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. So what happened here is one of the Christians came as, as, as the Apostle Paul was ready to leave the, this group of Christians and said, Paul is gonna, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, it's not going to be well for him. He's going to be taken prisoner. He was prophesying. And everybody knew that that was what was going to happen. So the answer is really simple. Okay, Paul, here's the solution. Don't go. Because who wants you to go to prison? Not me. Not me. Not me. And so they're all ganging up on him saying, Paul, don't go. I mean, it's obvious. It's easy to avoid this by not going. But Rick, we know the commission that Jesus gave Paul, that he would bring his message to kings and to to places, to Gentiles all around the world. So this was God's will for Paul. And in that commission, when Paul was converted, it was also said to Ananias, I'm going to show Saul, who became Paul, what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
this was part of that suffering. And Paul's answer was sound, it was clear, it was using this tool of passionate acceptance. He said, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? What are you doing trying to keep me from going? He says, I'm not ready just to be bound, but I'm ready to die if that's what God's will is. Because doing God's will is more important than anything and everything else I could imagine for my life. So, Rick, uh, Paul, Paul's example is unbelievable. What willingness to do whatever he had to do to prove his loyalty to God. He, he was, he's one of my mentors and inspirations yep. in my Christian walk of, of his willing acceptance of thy will be done. Right. And, and I'm glad you phrased it that way. Willing acceptance. We can accept things or we can willingly accept them. And when you accept them, it's like, okay, okay, all right, I'll do it already. Okay, don't say it again, I'll do it. Or it's the willing acceptance that says, thank you for the opportunity, even though it may cost me dearly. That's what passionate, the tool of passionate acceptance is. Passionate acceptance changes our expectations because we can now see them more clearly. And when we can see the expectations of fulfilling God's will and God's way in our lives, then we can do the things that are necessary so that we can actually act in a way that is pleasing to God. We're looking at today's mainstream and biblical topics from several different angles. We couldn't do it without our great supporters. Join our conversation by calling now. We're live and look forward to talking with you at 866-985-4255. All right, so to, we have to counteract those tools of mass destruction, those batitudes that we were talking about in the first hour. So far, we've laid out the tool of God-centered thinking. It counteracts the tool of self-centered thinking, the tool of passionate acceptance, which counteracts the tool of stubborn denial. And now to counteract the tool of a calloused heart, what good tool, what tool of massive construction do we have to, to uh, take that one out of the picture? Well, Rick, the tool of an open heart. It fixes my heart to find its comfort in the building up of others. All right. Our hearts must be fixed to learn how to find comfort in building others up. Not in taking care so much of me, but in helping to contribute to you. When we can begin to do that, all of our life can be to begin to change. Let's look at Romans 14, verses 13 to 15. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in the brother's way, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him from whom Christ died. And of course this scripture was focused on the debate they had in the early church about whether you should eat meat that had previously been offered to idols. And Paul is saying, look, it's a matter of conscience. Be sensitive to the conscience of your brother, even if it's not as strong as yours, because you don't want to destroy him. An open heart, the tool of an open heart, instinctively combats the darkness of ego, and dark cannot stand the light. And Rick, this made me think of the variety of personalities and talents in the body of Christ. They're all so unique. Uh, if we all see and do things differently, that's okay. Yeah. As long as everything's in harmony with God's word, we should lovingly accept everyone 
for serving their way the best they can. And, and, you know, again, serving their way the best they can. You know, nobody serves perfectly. So accept it. Love it. You know, have that tool of an open heart. And, Jonathan, we're, we're a little shy on time here in this segment. Uh, we have one more tool of massive construction, and it's the tool to combat laziness. And what is it? The tool of industriousness. It fixes my actions to be decisive and productive to fulfill God's will. So let's go right to another proverb that talks about industriousness. Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest. Your poverty will come in all a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So what it's saying is, look, you have a choice. You can be industrious like the ant. And if you've ever watched ants, they're always working, they're always running, they never walk slowly, they're never sauntering. <laughs> they're always about some kind of business. And it's a great little example to see that industriousness Deciding to work hard, even when we don't feel like it, is a great tool to have in that toolbox of your mind. But the question is, do I have it there? I know I have the tool of laziness. Do I have this tool of industriousness? To be industrious is to be active. To be active for Christ, now that is to be an overcomer. And isn't that the way we want our lives to look and where we want our lives to go? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? Coming up. Once we identify the right tools, what do we do next? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. And Rick, that's a tool of industriousness. You are absolutely right with that. It is a tool of industriousness. And it's so important to focus on being industrious. And folks, what we're talking about tonight really is simple. We're talking about making choices to identify what drives your life. What are the tools that you typically use in your life? Do they need replacement? Are they old, broken, and dangerous? And if they are, what tools can you put into your toolbox and learn to take those other ones out so you can actually, actually uh, make your life better? The, that, the last uh, uh, um, building block we were talking about, Jonathan, was uh, you know, the, my, saying that my life, my, my life is a perfect reflection of what's in my toolbox. Okay, that's that was the last one we spent two segments talking about. This segment, we're going to get to uh, the third building block. But first, we have another quote from Dr. Stephen Covey. Look at the word responsibility, response, ability. 
the ability to choose your response. And that's such a simple thing. We do have the ability even if we don't feel like it. So what are we waiting for? I mean, do you understand life is out there waiting for you to find the contentment within it if we will only make those choices? What's the third building block of understanding for a better life? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand how to focus on my circle of influence and not my circle of concern. This is a huge point. I, this is one of the big, big, big points. I want to see if we can make this really clear. It's a huge point from Weldon Long's book, The Power of Consistency, which we're basing this program on, several of the points from that book. He clearly explains in his book how our circle of concern is outside of our circle of influence and as such cannot be altered by our focus or worry about it, no matter how hard we try. So what we're saying is we have a circle of concern, things that we're concerned about in our lives that we can do nothing to change. Okay? What we really want to do is learn to focus on our circle of influence, which is where we can make the choices that can actually affect the outcome. And, and let me you mean if I worry if I worry about the weather, it won't change. <laughs> <laughs> right, it won't. It, it absolutely won't. And you know, if you if you go to the weather channel, it's still not going to change. Okay, <laughs> but you know, here, here's another quick example before we go to another soundbite. My son is in the Coast Guard. Okay, my son happens to be in a in a do does serious work. He's in an anti-terrorism unit, and that's pretty Whoa. serious stuff. My circle of concern is for his well-being when they're out. Because we never know where they are, we never know what they're doing, but we know it's dangerous. My circle of influence is, see, I can't change that. I have nothing to do with that. But my circle of influence is when I talk to my son, is to encourage him, to help him to, to, to remind, and I never have to remind him, but it makes me feel better, that, to stay focused, to do the right thing, to always be on target, you know, with his thinking, to, be, to go by the book in terms of making sure that they do everything right to protect themselves. That's all I can do. My circle of concern is big, but I've got no control. But it's okay because I can learn to let that be in God's hands, and that's where we're going with this. And human nature, Rick, is we worry about things all the time. Yeah. But it just wastes our time, doesn't it? it? And it really does. And that's something we need to learn to get away from. Let's go back to Randy Ross, Effecting uh, Positive Change, Personal Growth and Development. Uh, and he talks about something really important here. He's talking about direction. It's the direction we go, not the intention of our heart. And again, this is so important. But here's the principle. It's your direction, not your intention, that will determine your destination. And in order for us to make change, first of all, we have to become consciously aware of the need to change. Now, that can happen in one of two ways, either through honest, candid assessment or that being forced upon us for us to become consciously aware through life circumstances. Because life happens and reality will ultimately show up. Or to put it another way, Whatever's down in your well will ultimately come up in your bucket. So sooner or later, life throws us a reality pitch, and we have to deal with where we are and where we're headed. And in that moment, wherever that crisis occurs, that's a decisive moment. At that moment, we must make the decision whether to continue on that trajectory or chart a whole new course that will take us to a higher level. So it's our direction 
that determines things, not our intention. And if we can just understand, it's great to have good intentions. But if they don't do anything to alter a downward spiral of direction, then intentions are meaningless. It's where you're going. It's the direction you're going. And that's what this program tonight is about, is how do we get ourselves to focus on our circle of influence, our actual direction. So to do that, let's go to a really practical lesson in determining and focusing our circle of influence and not our circle of concern. The Apostle Paul's conversion, we were talking about it for a few minutes earlier. Now, Paul, his name was Saul before he was converted. Saul was forcibly shown the error of his way, and he repented. Ananias was a Christian brother who would be sent to Saul. Now, he was sent. He didn't need force. Saul really needed to be shown harshly that he was on the wrong track. And as a matter of fact, he was on his way to Damascus, and he was looking to imprison people just like Ananias for their Christian belief. Ananias was told that he needed to intervene, and he didn't need to be forced. He simply needed faith. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 18, and we're going to break this up through the rest of the segment. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. All right. So here it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Ananias is given a very specific task to accomplish. Okay. He is given this uh, vision, and in the vision, Jesus appears to him in this vision and says, okay. Here's your task. Go and seek out this man. His name is Saul of Tarsus, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase here. You may have heard of him. Uh, I, want you to, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to seek him out, and, um, and I want you to heal him because he's praying. Now, Hey, he heard of him because of the, the judgment of Stephen. Right, right. He heard of him because Saul of Tarsus was, was after Ananias' life. That's why That's he heard right. of him. He was, Saul of Tarsus was Ananias' enemy, his enemy of life. Not that Ananias made him an enemy. Ananias simply was a Christian. Saul's objective was to, to destroy all Christians. And he was ruthless in the, in the uh, accomplishment or the, the attempt to, the, to accomplish this. So he is given, Ananias is given this very simple, straightforward vision. See, this is his circle of influence. Ananias is told, here's what you can do. This is your job. This is what you should do. This is within your influence. This is within your reach, within your grasp. So it's clear and easy until you start thinking about it. And Ananias started to think. So let's go to now Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias basically says, wait a minute, he's saying to Jesus, he says, are you sure, and again, I'm paraphrasing, are you sure you have the right Saul of Tarsus? Maybe there's another Saul of Tarsus, because the Saul of Tarsus that I know 
has done much harm, and the way he says it is very interesting. He doesn't say he's done much harm to the Christians in Jerusalem. He doesn't say he does, he's done much harm to my brotherhood. He says to Jesus in this, he's speaking back to the vision, he's saying to Jesus, he has done much harm to your saints. Now, this is obviously Ananias' circle of concern. He is a little scared here. And you know what? I would be scared. It's legitimate. It is absolutely legitimate. Um, so he's re, he, and, and you know, you think about it. When we're scared, sometimes we tell the Lord things. You know, we make sure we, when we pray, we make sure God knows what's what, as if He doesn't already know. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but, but that's okay. That's part of the process, and that's what Ananias is doing. And he's he's just reminding Jesus. He's look. He's he's looking to take us in, to prison. If if you're you know, I just want to remind you of that little fact. Um, so what Ananias is doing here, Jonathan, is he's been given something to do within his circle of influence. But here he's wandered outside that circle of influence to his circle of concern, and he's really, really wondering about doing the thing that is given to him to do. Now, it's a legitimate concern, but can he change it? No, he can't. All he needs to do is focus on that which he can do. Jesus understands that. Jesus understands the fear. And Jonathan, this is the beautiful part of this story and the principle behind it in understanding our circle of influence. Jesus understands our circle of influence can't change everything in our life. But he understands if we focus on what we can change, we can grow through the things in our life in a better, more spiritual, more contented way. Way. So what does Jesus say to Ananias? Again, we're in Acts chapter 9. We're now in verses 15 to 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So this is an interesting answer because, you know, I like to look at this answer in two parts. First, Jesus says to Ananias, Look, he is going to be used by me. And boy, that would give me a whole lot more confidence. Okay, if Jesus Absolutely. is saying, this murderer is going to be used by you, okay, something obviously has changed, and you already told me he was praying, and I didn't really pay attention to that, but now I'm getting the fact that this must be serious, to bear my name, bear Jesus' name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. That's a powerful, powerful, positive tool. And then Jesus shares something else with Ananias that's really important. And he says, I will show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. So Jesus not only allays the concerns, he helps Ananias to focus on what, what he could influence. He tells him, I, I know who Saul of Tarsus is, and he's going to be a Christian like you, and he's going to have to suffer for that Christianity like you. I know that, and I am letting him know that. I have already told him that. And I have also told him I'm going to deliver him through those things. We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So, again, it's the difference between our circle of concern, those things that we see that really bother us in our lives, but we can't do anything about, and our circle of influence those things that we can actually do, actually change, actually take action on. And if we focus on our circle of influence, 
the circle of concern will begin to take care of itself. But that's so hard to believe <laughs> because the concerns are so pressing. So, so what does Ananias do now that Jesus has come back to him and assured him that, that, that Saul of Tarsus is going to be a tool in his hand, he's going to be a Christian, he's going to have mighty works in the name of Christ. What, what does Ananias do? Continuing in Acts 9, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias heard Jesus address his circle of concern. And once he saw that Jesus had it in hand, he then focused on his circle of influence. Ananias walks in faith and applies his influence. And the first thing we see that he says is what? When he meets, when he meets Saul. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. There is no equivocation. There is no wondering. There is no, hey, you. There is no, is this real? It's brother Saul. This was a defining moment for both of them. And this defining moment, because of Ananias' faith, would lead to the canceling of his circle of concern regarding Saul. So in this case, by acting on his circle of influence, doing what Ananias could do, the big concerns actually would go away. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. But again, sometimes in our lives it happens where when we do what we can do, those things that we're concerned about, we're just better able to cope with them. We're better able to overcome them. We're better able to pass through the trial and be able to, to see it and, and put it in its perspective. And that's the difference between the circle of influence and the circle of concern. So there's one more item that happens that we want to touch on in this segment with Ananias and Saul because Ananias fulfills the rest of what Jesus told him. Let's finish up, Jonathan, with um, uh, verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized. So Ananias heals, and, and folks, now I know you can't see this, but you know, Jonathan's reading this, and he's like got this huge, massive smile on his face. Because you see the fulfillment of the will of God through Jesus and through the faith of Ananias. You see Ananias act on what he's capable of doing and not worrying about the things that he can't change. And you see the glorious end result. Saul is healed. Saul is baptized. And, and, and then you, you see that life changes for both of them. It's such a powerful, powerful picture. And Saul didn't procrastinate. He's healed. He's baptized. He doesn't like wait around and say, well, you know, describe to me this baptism thing. Tell me a little bit more about Jesus. Jesus came to him in a vision. He knew he had been wrong. And he, because he had a sterling heart... He changed his direction, and he went flying to do the will of God. So he's healed, and then he's baptized immediately. Applying ourselves to that which we can influence actually does work. So Jonathan, our time is only well invested when we are focusing on our circle of influence, and it's wasted, never to be retrieved, when spent focusing on our circle of concern. We've got the choice to make. And the problem is it's so much fun to focus on our circle of concern because then we get to complain and moan and groan and you can't change it. So you get to complain and moan and groan over and over and over again. But, there's but what I find, Rick, is the more you can do for others, 
uh-huh. in your circle of influence, how it takes your heart and your mind off of self. Yeah. And it's giving and, and you're so much, you know, you're rewarded mentally and just physically for doing and giving and being what you can to honor the Lord. And that's one of the basic Christian principles of living with gratitude. And and living that gratitude makes bearing our own trials, our own difficulties, our own troubles much easier. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? Coming up. So where does focusing on our circle of influence bring us to? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is, What Should I Be Doing Differently? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook Tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're now on Instagram. So, Jonathan, just before we, we continue with these four building blocks, I just want to sort of take a, a sidestep for a moment because there's such a powerful practicality to what we're talking about tonight. And I've had some wonderful personal experiences recently with several Christian Questions listeners from all over the country. Personal phone conversations, email conversations with some who've really, really, really been struggling. And uh, for these three specific in- individuals, I'm not going to mention names to embarrass anybody, um, but, you know, as, as we were putting together the, the thoughts for this particular program, their experiences, their trials, sometimes the depth of their despair was just before my mind continually. And as we put these together, it's like, okay, this is a practical way to begin to focus, especially on your center of influence, Rather than, or your circle of influence, rather than your circle of concern. Because so many times, the circle of concern that we can't change, it overwhelms us. But if we do what we can do, and like you said, if we begin to focus on others, we can really truly change our ability to cope with those concerns. A lot of those concerns won't and can't go away, but we can get stronger in coping with them. So for one of my friends who happens to live in Tennessee and one of them who happens to live in Florida and one of them who happens to live in Colorado, this is for you. So let's go to our fourth building block uh, of understanding a better life. To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand the primary change I need is to make better decisions and to follow through on them. So... I need to make better decisions and follow through with them. That's the primary change. There's two parts to that. Make the decision and follow through on the decision. This is always the inevitable conclusion when we seek to make significant change in our lives. Make better decisions and follow through on them. Just like Stephen Covey's quote from the first hour, remember what was that quote? All things are created twice. Right. We mentally create a better life when we make a choice 
and we physically create a better life when we act on the choice. It's great to say, I'm going to do this. And that's what happens to people at New Year's, right? That's right. I'm going to do this. This is it. I'm tired of this, or I'm going to change that, or from now on I will be such and such. And we make the choice, but then we have to act on the choice, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but we have to act, find those small wins, and create what we created in our mind. Follow through. Absolutely. It's, it sounds so simple and so streamlined, but it is so, so difficult. There, there's another great quote here, Jonathan. I'm not sure who said it, but what's the quote? There's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when circumstance permit. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. So we can say, yes, I've made a commitment to this. The test is, uh, am I going to do it when circumstances aren't so good, aren't, aren't so, so happy, aren't so convenient? Or am I going to do this no matter what, because this is something that is so, so important. So whoever said that was pretty smart. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> all right, let's go to one last soundbite. This is from John Maxwell. He is a tremendous author on leadership, and I have read several of his books and have learned so much, and a lot of, he's had a lot of effect on me in terms of putting ideas on paper for Christian questions. And this small soundbite is on self-discipline, and it's saying exactly what we're talking about, doing it before we feel like it. Uh, Self-discipline and being able to perform and being able to keep your life on schedule and being able to keep commitments and promises and meet deadlines is essential to success. Uh, None of us, none of us can afford to have a life that is controlled by someone else or a life that is basically controlled by our emotions. I learned many years ago that there are two kinds of people. There's the type of person who says, I'm going to wait till I feel like it before I do it. And then there's a person who says, I've got to do it so that I feel like it. One will never get anything done because they're still waiting to feel the moment to move. And the other person says, no, I need to move. And then I will begin to feel the moment. Sonia, self-discipline is essential in your life and in my life if we're going to get things done. So that was in a question and answer uh, period after a seminar that he had done. And he was talking to a woman named Sonia who asked about self-discipline. But he makes such an important, simple, simple point. Do it before you feel like it so you'll feel like it because you did it. (laughs) You know, we have to take the action. Are you going to live your life controlled by someone else or controlled by your emotions? And Jonathan, for most of us, I would venture to say we end up falling into that pit, living our lives controlled by others because we're focusing our, on our circle of concern or controlled by our emotions rather than controlling our circle of influence, the things that we can actually do to change them. Because remember, emotions, while they are real to us, they don't necessarily reflect the reality of life around us. Emotions are hard to deal with, Rick, because (laughs) we as human beings are up and down constantly, never on an even keel. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a battle. It is. And, you know, some of us are more emotional than others. And sometimes we get into that situation where my emotion is going to carry me away. 
And then I start to react according to my emotion instead of thinking first. And one of the great, great learning arenas of my personal life was raising three children. And raising three children, two of which were tough to raise, Tim being one who's now in the Coast Guard, you know, who go, and goes after bad guys. <laughs> um, and, and, and the other was my youngest daughter, Amy. She was a, she's very t- difficult to raise. And one of the things I had to learn to do was to not react but to think first, and it was hard. But whenever I was able to carry through on that, to see the situation, and instead of just reacting because I was angry, to think it through and say, okay, what do they need to hear? How do they need to hear it, regardless of how I feel? That changed my relationship with my children, and it helped me to communicate with them. So you're right, emotions are tough, but if we allow ourselves to learn the lessons... Boy, can, we, can it change. It really, really can change. So let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and look at this in terms of the idea of making better decisions and then following through on them. This is the change we need to make. Philippians 4, let's start with just verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Simple, isn't it? Here's the, the, here's the thing, though. To rejoice is always a decision. And sometimes it's a hard one because your circumstances don't produce rejoicing. I, I, I was recently talking to someone who is 24 hours a day in excruciating pain. And you say, now do you read that scripture to that person and say, hey, here's the answer, rejoice. I mean, they're in this extraordinary pain. But Jonathan, rejoicing doesn't mean that you're all giddy and happy. It means that you're looking at God and saying, I know you've got this, and even though I am in such pain and it hurts so much, I know that you know. That's how we can learn to rejoice in that situation. Decide and act on rejoicing. That's verse 4 of Philippians 4. What's verse 5? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. This is a beautiful text. I love this section of Philippians because these are short statements that that really pack a punch of spiritual goodness. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. What it's saying is to wear our Christ-likeness on the outside is a decision. And sometimes it's a hard one. Because a lot of times people don't want to see a Christ-like attitude. If everybody's miserable and complaining, what do they want to see out of you? The same. Misery and complaining. But if, yep. if Christ's likeness rises above that, eh, it creates a little friction in there. And if you decide to not enter in, now they're starting to feel like, oh, what, are you trying to judge me? What, do you think you're some holy Christian type person? And, but the idea is, look, no. This is, the life is worth so much more than being, being stuck in that circle of concern that you can't do anything about. So to wear our Christ's likeness on the outside, we need to decide and then act. And Rick, that gentle spirit can look so different in whatever circumstance. It could be kindness. It could be generosity. It could be a smile. Yeah. It, 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 there's so much you can do to show that gentle spirit. And, and you're right. It can be something as small as a smile, and it can change everything. And, and it can be something as simple as gratitude, and it can change everything. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, verse 6, sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, to release anxiety and embrace prayer. That's what this verse is telling us. This is a choice, and sometimes it's a hard choice. But we need to decide. I want to release my anxiety and act on it. Now look, when we decide to release our anxiety, it doesn't just go away because we decide. It takes practice, and it takes prayer, and it takes visiting it again and again and again. But by doing that, we are making a decision and acting on it. And we may fail several times. doesn't mean we shouldn't keep making the decision because the next verse gives us a result from these decisions that we were just talking about. Verse 7 of Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God in your life is a result It's God's action as a result of our making godly decisions. It's God's action as a result of rejoicing and our gentle spirit and not being anxious. The peace of God comes as a result of those things. So, Rick, do you mean then, as a result of our making godly decisions, the result is God giving us peace? Absolutely. Positively, that's a promise. Now, look, God's peace doesn't take away our circle of concern. It gives us strength to cope with it and helps us to see the things that are in our circle of influence so that we can do them. We have to decide to accept God's peace into our life. If we don't decide to accept it, Jonathan, he can send it all he wants and it's just going to bounce off of us and be wasted. Let's that anxiety will just hang around. Yes, absolutely will. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, this is all about thinking and then acting. And he lists out all of these wonderful things. And this is going back to that Stephen Covey quote, create things twice. First decide to think on true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellence and all of those things. And then and, 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 and when you decide to think on them and then you dwell on these things, your life is going to change. Verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So now the Apostle Paul is not just writing to them, but he's saying, look, I want you to see how I have been living my life. I want you to see the the testimony of my service to God. And I want you to realize that God has given me peace through all kinds of trial and tribulation and difficulty and shipwreck and imprisonment and beatings and and, and persecution and illness and, and, and rejection. He's given me peace through all of that and he can do the same for you. This is the same Paul who was out to kill the Christians. What, what happened to him? He chose and he acted because he listened to, to, to God through Jesus. Create things twice. Practice that which you have decided to think on and dwell on. Put it into practice. So, Jonathan, that gives us a sense of these four basic building blocks, and they're all really simple. So we've got just a couple of minutes left. Let's just go back through them and review them now, one right after the other. Building blocks of understanding for a better life. The first building block is... To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand what drives my 
homeostasis, my comfort zone. Okay. To better invest... Uh, should oh, I continue? No, no. Just let me just make a quick comment here in between. Sorry about okay. that. I, I kind of misled you there. I, you know me. I can't just let you keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the first thing is to understand what drives what I feel like is comfortable. Because remember, sometimes what I feel like is comfortable is really not equal and, 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 and level. It's way out of balance. And because it's way out of balance, I'm damaging myself by staying in that comfort zone. I need to find, I need to understand what drives it to say, okay, is that a good thing that drives it or is that a bad thing? Now that we have that understanding, what drives our homeostasis, what drives our comfort zone, we go to the second building block. To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand my life is a perfect reflection of what is in my box. And that's the toolbox of our minds. What kind of tools are in the box? Are they tools of mass destruction, TMDs, or are they TMCs, tools of massive construction? Are they batitudes, which is bad attitudes, short? <laughs> that's, that's street talk for bad, bad attitudes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or is it something much greater, something much better? What's the uh, third building block? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand how to focus on my circle of influence and not my circle of concern. This is such a powerful point. If we can get the difference between our circle of concern, which is things that bother us, that we wonder about and worry about but can't change, versus the things that we can change in our circle of influence. And what's the fourth building block? To better invest my time and maximize my experiences, I need to understand the primary change I need is to make better decisions and to follow through on them. That's the key, to make better decisions and to follow through on them. Once we have these things on, in place, understanding what drives our comfort zone, um, understanding the tools that we have in our mental toolbox right now, uh, understanding that we have a circle of influence and a circle of concern, understanding that... These things all can be changed with our choice, but it's not just the mental choice, it's the physical choice. It's actually changing what you do, how you act, and where you go in your life. For Jonathan Rick, this is Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. This is such an important subject, and it can do so much to make your life more contented, happier, more Christ-like, more godly. Hey, look, better. I mean, what else can I say? It makes your life better. So until next week, think about it. Folks, again, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about tonight's topic. Suggest future topics for us. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure you download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And we look forward to bringing you a new program next week. Again, it's all about making choices to do things differently. God bless.